testing. Can you all stand with me as we read the word of God? And turn to Genesis chapter 28. Genesis chapter 28. And we'll read together verses 13 to 15. Genesis chapter 28. And we'll read together verses 13 to 15. If you have it, say, I got it. If you don't, say, wait on me. Genesis 28. That is the first book of the Bible. Genesis 28. And I'll read in your hearing verses 13 to 15. And I'm reading from the New International Version of the Bible. And the Bible reads, There above it stood the Lord, and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Bow your heads with me as we consider for our time together. It's all about me. It's all about me. Lord, we thank you for being our God. Because, Lord, if the truth were told, we're screw-ups and we're mess-ups. And, Lord, we don't even do that right. We thank you for your grace and we thank you for your mercy. We thank you for keeping us in our foolishness. We ask that you open our eyes and our hearts to see you in a new way this morning. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. You can be seated. Before half of you were born in 1999, one of my favorite movies was released, and it was entitled The Green Mile. The Green Mile starred Tom Hanks and the late Michael Clark Duncan. Tom Hanks plays a security guard named Paul, and Michael Clark Duncan plays an inmate named John Coffey. And the movie begins with the transportation of John Coffey to the prison, and they pull up in a 15-passenger van, and John Coffey is about 6'4", 260. He was shackled in chains from his wrists to his ankles. They got him out of the van, and they were escorting him into the prison. And as he was walking through the courtyard, this short white security guard was yelling, dead man, dead man walking. We got a dead man walking here. And whenever it was that people would hear dead man walking, they knew that death row was getting a new inmate. And everyone would stare as the inmate would walk from the van to death row. The movie, Green Mile, is named after condemned prisoners who would, walking, who would walk to their execution. It was said that they were walking their last mile. And they walked that last mile on a stretch of concrete floor painted lime green. And while they would walk this mile, someone would always yell, dead man, dead man walking to add shame and insults to a man's final moments on earth. That's why in the movies and on TV shows, you see death row chaplains and priests and ministers walking beside the inmates reciting scripture and prayers to counteract all of the shame and the insults that the inmate would hear. 
There's even stories of inmates telling people to shut up, don't say dead man walking, because a man should not be judged on the worst day of his life. A man should not be judged on the worst day of his life by the worst deed of their life. The inmate would have no one standing beside him or her because people will distance themselves from you when you become guilty and convicted of a crime. Even when an athlete falls from grace, they'll take their jersey down from the website, scrub their name and their likeness from the front of the arena. They will disavow any connection and all of their contributions. Even their college and their high school will distance themselves. And as soon as sponsors withdraw their support, then a complete cutoff will take place. And whenever you Google their name, their worst act will pop up and they will forever be defined by that action. As someone who just passed a criminal background check a few days ago, I know that whenever someone does something that is considered visible and immoral, your name becomes an eponym, like a medical eponym where people will name diseases after you, where you become defined by what ails you, like Lou Gehrig's disease. People who become defined by what they believe is their worst characteristic. They become defined by that disease. I don't know about you, but sometimes I have to remind myself and I say, self, whatever I've done and whatever I have, I am not my condition. I may have done X, Y, and Z at least three times, but that does not define me. I am more than meets the eye. If I had time to talk about it this morning, I would tell you what Martin Luther King says, that God does not judge you for the isolated acts in your life, whether they be good or bad, but he looks at the trajectory of your life, and he gives you the benefit of the doubt. You might be on one page right now, and on that page there is guilt and sin and stain, but if you stay there, you will get stuck. I don't know about you, but I don't buy books to get stuck in the plot. I don't buy books to see the main character fall. I buy books to read them from the front page to the back page. You buy books to see the protagonists overcome. Like my pastor in Stockton says, just keep turning pages and you'll see the end of the story. You might see one thing right now, but please keep turning pages. You're not the author of my book. God is the author and he's still writing pages. You see, you might gossip about me. You might remind me of what I did. You might even talk behind my back when I leave. You might even try to use me as an object lesson for the youth of the church. But if you try to define me by my past, I'll tell you I don't live there anymore. I've moved, and I'm moving forward. The Bible says in Micah chapter 6 and verse 8, Don't rejoice against me, O mine enemy. When I fall, I shall arise. And when I sit in darkness, the Lord will be a light unto me. You see, when you see me, I am fallen. When you see me, I am guilty. When you see me, I am in darkness. But please keep looking. If you keep looking, you won't see me and you won't see lights. But what you'll see is the Lord. You'll see the Lord shielding me. You'll see the Lord covering me. You'll see the Lord reaching down to me and hear me. He might be trying to protect me from you. You see, when you see me fall, you tweet about me. When you see me fall, you blog about me. When you see me fall, you post about me. But when God sees me fall, he becomes my light. In times of my life when I fell, I wasn't trying to defend myself. I wasn't trying to justify myself. I wasn't even trying to make excuses. 
I was just there sitting in darkness saying, Lord, I did it. It was me. It's me. It's me, oh Lord, and I'm standing in the need of prayer. You see, you're not my light because you'll judge me. You're not my light because you'll condemn me. And at least three of y'all, you're not my light because you'll pick up stones to stone me. I'm so glad that when I'm in darkness, God is my light. In Genesis chapter 28, we see a wanted man. We see a condemned man. A condemned and wanted man, we see him under the shade of darkness. But more importantly, we see a God who meets him in his darkness. In Genesis chapter 28, we see a God who makes a way. We see a God who lets criminals get away. And we see a God who blocks things from coming your way. More importantly, we see a God who identifies himself with human beings. Human beings who are known by their worst action, rebellion against God. And you would think that God would want to be like the Baltimore Ravens. You would think that God would want to be like the Minnesota Vikings, want to stay far away. But we see a God who comes near and who follows after a condemned man on the run. And he waits until this criminal falls asleep and he shows up and we see a vision of a ladder that is resting on the earth with the top of it reaching to heaven and with angels going up and down. God is following Jacob. God is introducing himself to Jacob. God is propositioning Jacob. Jacob cannot come to God, but God comes to him, lets him fall asleep, and he gives him a dream, and he gives him a ladder. And the first thing God tells Jacob is this. It's not who you're connected to by birth. It's who you're connected to by rebirth. It's not who you're connected to by birth. It's who you're connected to by rebirth. He says in verse 13, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your grandfather, and the God of Isaac. God could say, I am the God of your father, Isaac. You know Isaac. He was a promised son. For all intents and purposes, he was a good man. He was a righteous man. He was a faithful man. But Jacob would say, I'm nothing like my father. Jacob takes after his mother. He was a mama's boy. He was conniving and deceiving and scheming just like his mother. Jacob is nothing like his father. So if God showed up and says, I am the God of your father Isaac, that would not help God's case in forming a relationship with him. But God says, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac, God says, I have history with you and your family. I've been with you before you were you. I've been with you before your father was born and before your grandfather was born. He says, I am the God of your grandfather, Abraham. You know Abraham. You know him as the father of the faithful. But when God met him, he was a pagan. He was a liar. He was an unbeliever. God comes to Jacob and essentially says, you were born to an earthly father and that has defined you. But you can be reborn and be redefined by me. God says, Jacob, it's not about you. It's about me. Check it out. God says, you don't have to be defined and confined by your crimes and your sinful acts. Because I knew your grandfather. And he wasn't all that. 
your grandfather was a man just like you, but he was a friend of God. And Jacob, you can be a friend of God because God is a friend of sinners. Jacob, it's not who you're connected to by birth. It's who you're, who, it's who you're connected to by rebirth. I um, mean, someone um, who didn't meet their father until he was 25, um, you can be defined by your name. But, but, but I learned that when people become celebrities, they often change their name. And I wanted to know why. Um, when a person um, gets famous, get put on, get celebrity and notoriety, for whatever reason, they distance themselves, they change their name. They don't want to be associated with people they grew up with. But we who don't really know them, we want to, um, we wear, their, well, not y'all, but people y'all know, you wear their clothes, um, you wear their brand. Um, Kim Kardashian got 15 million Twitter followers, and about three quarters of them are women. We follow them on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. We might even get a picture with them. At the parade yesterday, you might got a picture with, with Panda, um, with, with um, Bum Garner, but, but they don't know you. Um, you tag them on Instagram, um, you tweet them on, on, on Twitter, but, but they don't retweet you. You let a famous person retweet something, you send them. You'll be on your phone texting Pookie and Ray Ray. Well, that, that, that's what I did. A famous person retweeted something I sent them. The thing is, when a famous person gets famous, um, they act as if they never knew you. Every now and again, they'll show up in their neighborhood, and you'll get a picture with them, um, and they'll say, I knew them when I was in second grade. But people, when they get famous, they want to distance themselves from common people. They want separation between you and I. But if God acted the way Kanye West and Justin Bieber act, on planet Earth, we would have no hope at all. God does not distance himself from us. God comes near to us and meet us where we are. He's not like Raven Simone who's trying to remind you how not like you they are. God is the exact opposite. Notice something. Jacob does not follow God. Jacob does not stalk God to get his autograph. Jacob does not go through God's garbage. But we see God stalking Jacob, waiting until he falls asleep and slipping into his dreams. God who is perfect in himself, God who is whole in himself and sustained in himself, he wants to be with me so badly that he meets me in my dreams and stalks me while I'm sleeping. God says, I'm rolling with Isaac and Abraham. Nobody's from your family. Not only do I know them, but we go way back together. I don't know about you, but I need a God like that. A God who is friends with failures. A God who eats with idol worshipers. Hear me, a God who hangs out with his enemies. And he says it's not who you're connected to by birth. It's who you're connected to by rebirth. God says, I am the God of your father Isaac and your grandfather Abraham. And that's an invitation, Jacob, to be your God. He wants to be connected to a liar, connected to a sinner, connected to a criminal. A God who says, it's all about me. When God says, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac, another thing he's saying is, um, Jacob, you a screw up. People know you, um, but it's not about your reputation. It's about my reputation, Jacob. 
I'm following you, chasing you, and harassing you, not to punish you, but to proposition you. Jacob, I will downgrade myself so you can upgrade yourself. When people go to my Facebook page, my profile picture, and cover photo won't be of me, but it will be of you. Not so people can know me, but so people can know you. It's not about my reputation. God is saying it's about his reputation. Jacob, when people hear your name, they sneer. You walk into church, people hear your name, they whisper. When people hear your name and see you, they go to the other side of the street. When people hear your name and see you, they clutch their purse. But when people hear my name, they want to be near you. When people see you rolling with me, they will judge you, not based upon your reputation, but based upon my reputation. When people do a background check on you, they'll judge you based upon your reputation. But when they see you with me, they'll judge you based upon my reputation. Um, when I was in uh, elementary school, I was in foster care, and um, I got bullied. Um, I, I, was, I, was, I was short. Uh, I was the yellow kid, um, the curly-haired kid, the kid with the big nose and the broad shoulders, kid with no home, no family. Um, kids bullied me. Um, that was before I learned how to box. Uh, that was before I learned how to box. Uh, I got bullied um, in, in, in um, elementary school and in middle school. At the end of um, middle school, I was kept back almost about three years. My foster um, parents went to the Board of Education and said, we can't keep this young black man in special ed. We got to put him in ninth grade. Um, they said no. They said yeah. They, they went back and forth. And on the first day of school, and I think it was 92 or 93, I go to the middle school and they said, Joe, um, you've been pushed ahead. You got to go to high school. And I said, um, I just started boxing. Um, the kids are bigger than me. They, they don't know me. Um, I'm going to be in for the fight of my life. And on the first day of school, I'm wearing this ugly, cheap outfit. It was this, these bright um, orange shorts with this orange hoodie. It was two for 20. Um, you put it in the washing machine. One time it got faded. I only wore it once. And I had these white and ugly black Reeboks on. wasn't matching at all. Went to high school. I knew I was going to be in for the fight of my life. I'm just waiting. Walk into the lunchroom. Everybody looking at me. Uh, nobody bothered me. They ain't know who I was. They ain't know my history. And I found out a few months after that that people respected me and didn't bother me, not because of me, but because my big brother was a senior at the high school. And he was 6'2", 220 pounds. If you mess with me, you mess with him. And when people saw me, they didn't know I knew how to box, but they didn't judge me based upon my reputation. They judged me based upon my big brother's reputation. You see, when you see me, you define me by what you think you know about me. But when God sees me, he defines me by his son. When I walked into the lunchroom, I was, nothing had changed. I was still the foster kid. I still had a big nose. But people treated me with respect, not based upon my reputation, but based upon my big brother's reputation. You see, when you see me, 
you might see a failure. When you see me, you might see a sinner. But please know that I'm a work in progress. Don't love me and respect me by what you think you know about me. Love me and respect me because of God's reputation. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 26 to 30, says, brothers and sisters, think about what you were when you were called. Not many of y'all, I'll paraphrase it, not many of y'all were cute, not many of you were bougie, not many of you were righteous or obedient. He says, you weren't born with a silver spoon in your mouth. He says, but God chose you. The lowly things of the world. God chose you among the weak things of the world to shame the things that are. So that nobody can boast before him. Paul says, you ain't all that. He says, it's because of Jesus that you are what you are. And in him you have righteousness. In him you have redemption. In him you have holiness. If you're going to boast about something, boast that you know God. Hear me, don't judge people based upon their reputation. Yes, people are what they consistently do. But judge people based upon God's reputation. If the truth were told, if people judge you based upon what you did and where you came from, you wouldn't be sitting here today. But you're sitting here looking cute, looking pretty. And when people look at you, they judge you not based upon your reputation and your history. But what God is doing in your life, God says it's not about you. It's all about me. It's not who your father is, but it's who your heavenly father is. It's not your criminal past, but it's my history, my reputation covering you. The last thing God says is this. It's not what you can do for me. It's what I can do for you. He concludes, verse 13, when he says, I will give you uh, and your descendants the land you're sleeping on. He says, I will give you a criminal. I will give you and your descendants a single man the land that does not belong to you. God tells Jacob, it's not where you live. It's not what you have. God says, I will give you a land that you don't possess while you do not possess it. And I'm telling you now when you do not have it, while you neither have the land nor have a family to live on the land, I'm giving you a promise of something that you do not have now while you do not have it. And when you look around you, there's no evidence of it. But because I'm telling you, you can believe me. Because I'm speaking to you, it makes it so. Jacob, it's not what you can do for me. It's not about your down payment on a house. But it's what I can do for you. He tells a man, a homeless man, a jobless man, a single man, I will give you a land and I'll give you a family. Now you begin to see why God lets Jacob falls asleep. Because if he tried to engage him in a conversation while he's awake, he'll have all of these reasons of why he's not worthy. He'll have all of these reasons of why God should pick somebody else. But God waits until Jacob falls asleep to tell him, the land you're sleeping on, I'm going to give to you 
and the family you don't even have. God will sometimes promise you something that you don't have while you do not have it. And the only evidence and confirmation you have is the fact that he told you. That's a whole nother message. Has God ever told you something that does not make sense to other people? And when you share your vision with them, they look at you sideways and crazy. But you go forward because God promised it to you. People look at you. They don't understand you. They're looking at you with human eyes. They're judging you based upon human um, standards. They're looking for human confirmation. Um, Nietzsche says the people who are dancing are thought crazy by the people who don't hear the music. Sometimes, hear me, you can't go by what you see. You have to go by what God says. You cannot go based upon what you see. You have to go based upon what God has says. When I look at my life, and I see all of the mistakes and failures, and I know I shouldn't be passing no background check. But when God looks at my life, no, I've never been charged with a misdemeanor or a felony. I wasn't caught. I'll leave it there. When God looks at your life, he doesn't go by what he sees. He go by what he says. When God looks at you, people see failures. But when God speaks over your life, he's speaking possibilities. And you ask him, why, what are you basing your speech on? And he says, I don't go based upon what I see. I go based upon what I say. Look at my track record, Jacob. When I saw darkness, I didn't go based upon what I saw, but I said, let there be light. When I saw emptiness, I said, let there be firmament in the heavens. When I saw Abram, I didn't see a family, but I told him, I will make your name great, and I will make of you a great nation. When I saw Abram, I didn't see a man with no children, but I said, I will be your exceedingly great reward. When I saw Isaac, I didn't see a sacrifice, but I said, I will provide for myself a sacrifice and a ram because I am Jehovah Jireh. When I promise you something, you are not responsible for bringing it to pass. When I promise you something, I am responsible for its success. It's not what you can do for me. It's what I can do for you. Don't let people judge you when you're in a dark place. And hear me, don't judge yourself when you're in a dark place. When in fact a train goes through a tunnel, you don't jump off the train because it's in darkness. You trust the conductor because he in fact knows where he's going and he knows what he's doing. When you're in a spot like Jacob and you know you should get what you deserve, don't go based upon what you see. Trust God because he knows what he's doing in your life. He can handle you and he can handle your affairs. And he tells Jacob, I will give you a family. I will give you a future. I will give you a land that does not belong to you. Because I don't go based upon what I see. I go based upon what I say. Jacob, you don't believe me. Let me prove it to you. 
Jacob, I put the wetness in the water. I put the oxygen in the atmosphere. I put the sun on day shift and the moon on night shift and neither missed a day of work. You can believe me, Jacob. You can trust me, Jacob. I'm not a man like you that I should lie. I'm not a son of man that I should change my mind. If I say something to you, it is so. I was your father's God and I was your father's father's God. And Jacob, I can be your God. It's not what you can do for me. It's what I can do for you. Because it's all about me. And I'm including you. I know your name. I'm including you, and I know your past. I'm including you, and I know you have nothing to bargain with. I'm including you, Jacob. Because when people see you, and they see you rolling with me, They'll get hope and say, maybe he can be my friend too. If God can be the God of Abraham, if God can be the God of Isaac, if God can be the God of Jacob, then maybe God can be my God. He says, I will never leave you. I will not forsake you. I'll do what I've promised you. It's all about me. Jacob, you are more than the choices that you've made. You're more than the sum of your past mistakes. You're more than the problems you create. Jacob, you've been remade. It's not about you. It's about me. You're not defined by your birth. But the defining moment in your life is when you become reborn. People will bless you. Not because of your reputation. People will bless you because of my reputation. It's not what you can steal. It's not what you can scheme. It's not what you can strategize. It's what I can do for you. Jacob, people will misunderstand you. Um, not because of you, um, but because of the God you serve. Most people will define you by what they know about you and what they think they know about you. You cannot define yourself by what people say about you because they will confuse you. God doesn't even define himself by what people say about him. God is sometimes out of order when he's doing what he's doing. When God connects with Jacob, God is not defining himself according to human standards. If God defined himself according to human standards, he would have to get human approval. And to get human approval, he would have to go to human organizations and human institutions. But if God went to the FDA, the Food and Drug Administration, and says, who do you think I am? They would say, you are out of order. We have a problem because you can turn water into wine and you do it without a license. If God would go to the EPA, that is the Environmental Protection Agency, and says, who do you think that I am? The EPA would say, you are in fact out of order. You are not a conservator because you cursed a fig tree. If God would ask the AMA, the Medical Association, who do you think that I am? They would have said, you cannot do what you do. They would call him a charlatan because he practiced medicine without a license. If God had to get human approval to do what he does, he wouldn't be able to do anything because we would have his hands tied behind his back. If he went to the Department of Health and says, who do you think that I am? 
They would say, Jesus, you are at high risk of toxicity because you go into graves and open and touch dead people and you hug them and you hold them. You need to be quarantined for 21 days because you're breaking protocol. You are at risk of highly contagious diseases. I'm so glad that God can bypass all of the human agencies and meet me where I am when he needs to get there. If God went to the NEA, they would have said you are out of order because you are teaching without certification. If he would have, if he would have gone to the zoning board and would have asked permission to do what he did, they would have had said you are in fact out of order because you are building people without a permit. Whenever God comes to you, he will bypass reason and logic half the time and give you what you don't have and what you don't deserve. God's presence in your life don't always make sense. God's presence in your life isn't always fair. But you don't need fairness. What you need is favor. God says, I'm not going to color within the lines. Don't try to restrict me to what you think you know about me. I don't have the proper education, but I got the job because God was next to me. I don't have all of the credentials that I have now, but I got the job and God promoted me because his presence was on me. People who knew my past tried to hate on me, but because of the God I serve, Put me in places I know I don't deserve. So when people look, they won't praise me because people know what I did back when. But when they see me rolling with God, they'll define me not based upon who my father was. Uh, we'll leave that alone. But they will define me based upon who my heavenly father is. People will respect me not based upon my reputation. Because when they did a background check, they went back to when I was 18. If they would have went back before that, um, I wouldn't be a professor today. But God will bless you. Not based upon what you can do for him, but what he in fact can do for you. So the banner of your life, it's not about you. It's about him. Um, my mother was killed violently over 30 years ago. And the woman who did it um, went to prison um, for 18 years for negligent manslaughter. But she got out. Got out 14 years ago. It messed me up because I, I preach about grace and I live about mercy. But I, when it comes to my personal life, I have this thing about justice and fairness. I believe this should be a life for a life, just like Denzel. She took my mother's life. Her life should be done. But she, in fact, got out and was walking the streets. And for years, I didn't forgive her. For years, she had this tether, this hook in me because I would not forgive. And I had this bitterness that I couldn't shake. And one day, I was in a spot when I should have gotten judgment, when I should have gotten judgment, but God gave me mercy. And something messed me up. Pennsylvania was the same case. Two parents lost their one and only son. His best friend killed him while drunk driving. And his friend, in fact, got sentenced um, to vehicular manslaughter and got sentenced to prison. But the parents of the one and only son went and petitioned the judge 
on his behalf to reduce the time. And the brother got six years. He got released. And the victim's family has to be um, notified when the criminal is released to put out on parole. The father and the mother of the one and only son that they lost saw the man who took their son's life. Check out what they did, y'all. They forgave him. They invited this brother into their house to sleep in their son's bed. And the father gave the, well, they gave him a job in one of his companies. Forgave him. Took him into his house. Treated him as their one and only son. And gave the criminal what the son deserved. I don't know about you. But don't nobody in here deserve the mercy and the grace of God. But God forgave you. He could have done it. He could have left it right there. But he took you into his house. Adopted you. And made you a joint heir with his one and only son. Here it is. Give you the throne that his son is seated on. And the crown that belongs to him. So nobody in here could say salvation is about you. Salvation is all about him. I don't know about you, but I need a God like that on my side. What about you? If that's the God you need, I invite you to stand to your feet. I'm going to pray a special prayer just for you. You need a God that doesn't define you by who your father is, but a God who defines you because he wants to be your father. A God who knows your reputation. But he will cover you and people will judge you based upon his reputation. There's somebody here. You're like Jacob. And you need God to come to you, meet you where you are, and give you a ladder. If that's you, I invite you to come to the front. We're going to pray a special prayer just for you. You need God to meet you where you are in your darkness, in your guilt, in your shame. Give you a dream. And to give you a ladder, if that's you, I invite you to come to the front. I want to pray a special prayer just for you. You need God to come to you. To give you what you don't deserve and what you don't have. And the terms of the agreement is this. Open your hands and open your heart. That's it. Is there another? Praise the Lord. You need God to come to you and give you a dream to cover your past and to give you a ladder for your future. It says, I was with you when you were born. I knew your stuff. I knew you were going to do your stuff before you knew you were going to do your stuff. Not only am I going to cover your past, but I'm going to cover your present. I'm going to protect you from your enemies, Esau. I'm going to give you a future. And I'm going to give you a family. If there's another, I invite you to come to the front. We're going to pray a special prayer just for you. You need a God to give you what you don't deserve and what you don't have now. We'll wait for you. I'm telling you now, I would not have taken that son into my house 
but I'm so glad that God does not treat y'all or me the way I would treat y'all and the way I would treat myself. But he gives me what I don't deserve. And he withholds from me what I do deserve. Because it's all about him. Is there another? Bow your heads with me. Lord, we planned it. We orchestrated it. We strategized it. Lord, we deceived and we were deceived. We were hurt and we did some hurting. But Lord, we're here at your altar in darkness, expecting and wanting judgment, wanting to pay you back for what you give us. But Lord, we're here with our hands out and with our hands up, receiving your gifts, and your son. Thanking you for forgiving us. You could have left it right there, but you adopted us and give us the things that your son deserves. Giving us a throne, giving us a crown, and giving us a kingdom. God, we thank you. But Lord, when we leave this place, we know us. Lord, we're, we've been stuck with us for all of our lives. But Lord, we ask that you give us your spirit so we won't go based upon what we see, but we'll go based upon what you say. And you say, you are our father. You say, we have a new reputation. And you say, you want to do some stuff for us that we cannot do for ourselves and that we will never, ever deserve. If that's what you need God to do for you, just respond by saying amen. God bless you. God bless you. Precious, beautiful words. I thought about as our brother spoke to us, as the Holy Spirit was leading him, I thought about uh, back in